This is podcast number one from the Energy Security Program of the NATO Association of Canada. And I am Robert Cutler, Senior Research Fellow at the NATO Association and Director of that program. Today, September 18th, 2020, we have Mariana Liakopoulou, Research Fellow at the NATO Association and in the Energy Security Program, to talk about her newly published research study on our site, New Dimensions of the, Ca of the Great Caspian Energy Game. Mariana, maybe we could begin uh, if you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your academic and professional background, and how you got interested in Caspian energy. Uh, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. So my uh, research interest in Caspian energy was uh, triggered in my student years, which was why my master's thesis was focused on the Caspian legal status and legal states outlook regarding the European Commission strategy towards the fourth or southern gas corridor. So after graduating from my studies with a master's in international relations and European studies from the National Gap District University of Athens, I started working as a research analyst with the Washington DC based Caspian Policy Center, delivering briefs and reports about energy affairs and policies in the Caspian and Central Asia, as well as in Southeastern Europe. I then spent a year in the director's office of the European Union Agency for the Cooperation of Energy Regulators in Ljubljana, Slovenia. And as of September 2019, aside from my uh, fellowship in energy security with the NATO Association of Canada, I've also been assigned consultancies with the energy community in Vienna, Austria. And as of May 2020, I am a member of the Secretariat's roster of experts. Well, thank you. Uh, that's that's good uh, of you to introduce yourself. Uh, you called your study the new dimensions of the great Caspian energy game. Uh, we've heard a lot about this great game, this term. Uh, how did it originate uh, and uh, what does it mean uh, in the Caspian Sea region? Yeah, well, the... Today's um, geostrategic struggle for control over the Caspian and Central Asia has been referred to as the new great game by the post-Cold War literature. And that is a reference to the, the great game, a phrase coined by the British intelligence officer Arthur Connolly and later adopted by Rudyard Kipling in his novel Kim. To, to design it, the 19th century rivalry between the British Empire and Charles Russia over Afghanistan and Central and South Asia. So according to this analogy, after the, after the emergence of the independent Caspian literal states, uh, those being Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan, from the splintering Soviet Union in the early 90s, uh, the United States and Russia were the principal competitors, uh, while Europe and uh, China progressively uh, joined them. Now, regional players such as Iran, uh, Turkey, and Pakistan occasionally also positioned themselves there. And the stakes were said to be the, the Caspian 
and Central Asian regions oil and gas resources, and specifically how to produce them and how to transport them to international markets. So my study aims to provide an overview of the influence of these geopolitical and geoeconomic powers on the security of energy supply from the Caspian Sea. It therefore examines how this great game of Caspian and Central Asian energy has evolved since the onset of the 21st century. And to do this, it analyzes a set of completed, planned and rumored divestments in upstream and midstream projects by international oil companies historically active in the region. So it starts with ExxonMobil's uh, planned divestment from Azerbaijan's Azerishrag Deepwater Ganashli oilfield complex and Chevron's completed divestment from both um, the Azerishrag Deepwater Ganashli and the Bakut Blisi uh, Chehan oil pipeline. It continues with Total's divestments from Azerbaijan's uh, Shahtenis 2 offshore gas project and the Trans Adriatic pipeline. It then discusses uh, Total's rumored sale of its stake in Kazakhstan's massive offshore Kishagan oil and gas field to the China National Petroleum Corporation. It then discusses Shell's exit from Kazakhstan's Kazar oil field after it relinquished its 55% stake in the Kaspi-Mererti operating company to which uh, Kazar's development is licensed and the abandonment of the development of Kalamkas Moria oil field by the Northern Caspian Operating Company. And finally, he talks about the, um, the concerns of Chevron stakeholders about the impact of the costs of expanding production from Kazakhstan's Tengiz oil field to around 900,000 uh, barrels per day on the 36% decline in the company's 2019 third quarter earnings. Well, that certainly sounds quite comprehensive. Uh, could you elaborate a bit on the role of American and European energy diplomacy in the Caspian energy business and how their international oil companies, which are also involved in gas exploration, uh, even though we call them oil companies, oil and gas companies, how, how their companies were involved also in the early post-Soviet years after uh, 1991 when the Soviet Union fell apart. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, international oil companies uh, used to be actively involved in Caspian energy business back in the 90s and the 2000s by contributing to the execution of important projects in Azerbaijan through, for example, the conclusion of the 1994 contract of the century on the Azeri Shirak Ginashli oil field. Uh, the 2006 commissioning of the BTC pipeline, the, the 1996 signing of Shaftenis Fields Production Sharing Agreement, and the subsequent deals on associated pipeline infrastructure for, uh, for the Southern Gas Corridor concluded within the first decade of the 21st century. And the same goes for um, international oil companies' entrance into Kazakhstan's hydrocarbon business during the same period uh, with the Tengisha Broil, that is a joint venture between state-owned Kasmini Gas and Chevron, uh, created through a production sharing agreement in 1993 and granted exploitation rights within the Tengiz license area until 2033. 
1997, uh, the 40 year production sharing agreement on Keshagan was inked between the Kazakhstan government and a consortium of Western equity investors. So this avid um, involvement was motivated uh, as outlined in my study by the American energy diplomacy, which was also extended to NATO allies in Europe and which at the time sought to augment supplies uh, through diversified transit routes so as to bolster oil markets flexibility and to sort of attenuate OPEC's pricing making power. Uh, Western interests in what was considered to be a geopolitically important energy producing region were not only commercially driven, uh, they also revolved around a prime concern with the region so as to countervail against influence there uh, from Russia during the immediate uh, post-Soviet years and later on from China. Well, that's very interesting. So what has changed today in terms of the West's approach, including the NATO countries' approach towards energy project investments in the region? Yeah, well, uh, my case studies um, highlight the shift over time uh, in the West's, including the NATO countries, of course, uh, willingness to be a principal player in the new great game. Uh, in contrast with the early post-Soviet years, when the US and the EU were enthusiastic about getting involved in energy projects in the region, uh, in the 2010s, they became more hesitant about this involvement and their, uh, their hesitancy may be interpreted in several ways uh, if you go on a project by project basis. Uh, first, the, the, the Chevron and Exxon examples uh, demonstrate how and why international oil companies might wish to focus on projects where returns on their investments come sooner. And this is what uh, happens in short cycle shale projects back home in the US. Uh, alternatively, international oil companies may wish to channel their capital into their most strategic mega assets in a region. As for example, to date by leaving the Shaktanis II and Transadriatic pipeline projects so as to concentrate on the deep water Absheron development. Now, uh, cost effectiveness and a reasonable time lag to production can keep companies tied to a project and um, even push them to take a new uh, final investment decision if oil prices in the meantime remain uh, lower and more volatile. Now, these two factors were not in play in the Kazar case, uh, the field which was abandoned by Shell and the Kalamkas Mori case, which was abandoned by the Northern Caspian Operating Consortium. Uh, the logistics and geology of these deposits uh, make them less competitive in comparison with other less expensive offshore alternatives in the, uh, in the global investment portfolios of international oil companies. Now, due to the, uh, due to the extremely low oil price cycle, 
especially during the COVID-related uh, recession. And the international oil companies' constant concern to turn a profit, irrespective of the oil price level, uh, they are more uh, careful. These companies are more careful about whether they about where, excuse me, they concentrate their spending. Um, so such considerations explain Total's rumored exit from Keshagan following its acquisition of Anadarko's African assets from Occidental, and Chevron's skepticism about the, um, about the Tengiz expansion project's impact on its declining earnings. So it sounds like there were uh, market and policy developments that led to the international oil companies' decisions to withdraw from Caspian energy projects throughout 2019. So what might have made them have these second thoughts about the viability of these projects? Yeah, so if we were to go, um, if we were to talk about those market and policy uh, developments, uh, well, the first one certainly has to do with the, with the U.S. shale boom. So the unprecedented uh, rise of the U.S. shale industry throughout the 2010s and the difficulties that independent drillers face with oil prices falling into a negative territory as COVID-19 eviscerates demand uh, will lead to the much uh, heavier pockets of international oil companies helping the industry survive. So international oil companies are attracted to shale because of its short cycle nature. And that means that you can basically turn the switch on and off relatively quickly uh, based on the level of global prices and make uh, an immediate profit. It is thus preferred by certain international oil companies like Chevron and Exxon uh, versus more complex and costly mega projects like the Caspian ones where profits take years to come. Uh, another uh, such development has to do with investor uh, policy and societal calls to international oil companies to reduce their carbon footprint and to adapt their corporate strategies to the energy transition. So in order to respond under this pressure, um, international oil companies focused only on those fossil fuel projects that generate the, the quickest possible earnings uh, while tentatively diversifying into low carbon assets. And this represents a uh, reality check for Caspian energy projects where the time lag to production and investment returns generally extends to years. So the common denominator of these developments that I just mentioned is the extreme oil price volatility observed since 2014 and topped by the 2020 oil price crash. And another development has to do with the EU energy market policy. So the EU Green Deal certainly creates a gloomy outlook for gas exports to the EU, uh, including Caspian gas exports to the EU. Uh, 
towards the uh, envisioned decarbonized economy of 2050. However, in the short term, on the geopolitical and geoeconomic level, Caspian Sea uh, hydrocarbons do not lose their momentousness for the EU. Um, they, they do have to compete with US LNG because of their common threats, uh, small supply volumes in relation with the overall European demand, but with a noteworthy symbolic weight for the EU's gas diversification. Uh, therefore, the US-Caspian energy relations have transitioned from a stage of robust alliance right after the collapse of the Soviet rule to the stage of, let's say, uh, vigorous competition for market share in Europe. Well, you mentioned also geopolitical elements. So uh, if uh, Western leadership in Caspian energy affairs uh, is diminishing or withering, are there any risks for the West as the region seems to draw closer to Russia and China? Yeah, uh, well, let's just for starters assess um, this rapprochement of the non-Russian Caspian Sea and Central Asian states with Russia and China uh, in light of Western international oil companies related withdrawal from the region. So let's see, uh, Gazprom's uh, renewal of its supply uh, deal with Turkmen gas after a four-year hiatus is one uh, sign of such a potential rapprochement. As for China, the case for natural gas use for environmental reasons is now stronger than for the EU, since air pollution there prods the governments to switch from coal to gas and to even pay a premium for their gas imports. Uh, so Caspian and Central Asian states could to a certain extent alleviate these import needs uh, through Line D of Central Asia gas pipeline and the Turkmenistan-Afghanistan-Pakistan-India pipeline project. Now, if oil prices remain near today's lows, however, uh, China could lose interest in gas imports from the Caspian Sea region and their associated infrastructure. It would then instead rely on much cheaper LNG. Uh, China's interest in gas imports from the Caspian Sea region would also depend on the progress of decarbonization policies for the whole region. Now, the prospect of increasing uh, Russian and uh, Chinese influence on the development of Caspian and Central Asia energy resources comes, as you uh, just pointed out, with risks to the involved states holding these resources. In the case of Russia, uh, one such risk involves possible new arbitrations over price revisions, as occurred with the Turkmen gas sold to Russia up until 2015. Uh, another risk has to do with the fact that China will remain influential in setting the uh, still undisclosed uh, purchase price for Caspian and Central Asian gas via the Central Asia gas uh, pipeline. Uh, bargaining over this uh, will take into account uh, China's funding of Line D uh, of the same pipeline and the second development stage of its resource base, uh, that is the supergiant Galkinish gas field in eastern Turkmenistan. So these risks uh, point out why the, why the West 
including the NATO countries, need to maintain their interest in uh, Caspian Sea region energy. Well, in view of the diminishing interest by Western uh, countries and their international oil companies in capital investments in the region, it sounds like, uh, nevertheless, uh, Caspian oil and gas producing states will not entirely lose their geopolitical significance. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, absolutely, because uh, the the risks I just mentioned um, actually point out why the West cannot afford not to keep investing in the Caspian. Because Caspian sea states can take advantage of energy exports to Europe as well as of Western international oil companies' involvement in upstream and midstream projects in order to avoid monopolistic influence by Russia and China on their energy exports. So the West, including the NATO countries, cannot um, ignore the geopolitical and geoeconomic value of the region, even if conditions somehow um, diminish their attention to it. So the possibility of more uh, mergers, divestments, and delays, delays in or absence of final investment decisions, uh, always remains on the table, for one thing. Uh, For example, the long-stalled Trans-Caspian oil transport system from Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan to the Mediterranean or the Black Sea Uh, especially since all projects could be altogether excluded from the European Commission's lists of projects of common interest in line of the upcoming revision of the 2013 Trans-European Networks for Energy Regulation provided for by the Green Deal. Uh, Well, that's that's certainly something that might happen. Uh, Taking all four uh, projects of common interest lists published to this day into account, only seven oil projects uh, have, have obtained this, this status, the PCI status. Now, meanwhile, oil infrastructure projects have been excluded from funding under the, um, under the Connecting Europe facility. That is a multi-annual funding program set up to finance improvements in Europe's transport, energy, and digital networks. To be eligible for financial support under the Connecting Europe facilities, projects must be included in the projects of common interest list. Um, so that's that's the case about oil projects. Uh, but considerations for other final investment decisions, mainly on the on the Southern Gas Corridor pipe network and associated fields, associated resource bases, uh, were undertaken well before. Uh, the circumstances analyzed in my study came pass, and there are uh, there are basically two reasons why the international oil company's presence in the region is going to hold strong, um, at least insofar as gas is concerned. Uh, so first of all, the EU will continue to insist on diversifying its sources of gas supply, so it will push for the southern gas corridor pipes to operate at their full capacities. And the U.S., uh, which is in the meantime promoting its own LNG exports, uh, is going to endorse, I think, the EU politically in this regard in order to diminish Russia's market share in Europe. Uh, So 
And the second reason is that in order for the consortia participating in this large scale project uh, to ensure a reasonable return on their investments and to bring costs down for the shippers, they too will have to work towards fulfilling the Southern Gas Corridor. And this need uh, will probably translate into new final investment decisions, either on brownfield expansions or greenfield projects. Um, in the upstream sector, for example, such final investment decisions have to do with the next wave of Azeri gas, either from fields whose uh, development is due in late 2020, early 2021, uh, like Absheron and Karabakh, and fields already sending gas to Azerbaijan's gas transmission system, like Umid, um, as well as from ill-studied structures like Shafagaziman, Babek, and the shallow water Absheron Peninsula contract area. Uh, those could all possibly contribute to the Sarin gas corridor. Now, in the area of transportation, the weight is certainly placed on the proposed subsea Transcaspian gas pipeline that will open up the, um, the prospect for Turkmen gas supplies into the Sarin gas corridor. And uh, the Transcaspian gas pipeline is helped in the right direction at the moment by its status as a project of common interest and by the extended EU-Caspian context contacts, excuse me, in the context of the um, of the Sarin Gas Corridor Advisory Council. So why then will the international oil companies maintain their presence in the region? And uh, I imagine that this should benefit, if they do so, the EU and the US in the short and medium term. So how would that help them? Well, as already said, uh, Caspian and Central Asian oil and gas producing states control advantage from energy exports to Europe and from Western international oil companies involvement in upstream and midstream projects. Um, and this balancing will ensure that their energy supplies are not monopolized by Russia and China. Uh, therefore, um, in this uh, rerun, of the first great game. Uh, we've got powerful Western players used to seek dominant energy sector positions in the heart of the Eurasia, uh, which uh, the Soviet collapse in 1991 had sort of left in a, in a power vacuum. And almost three decades later, developments such as the, the shale revolution and the emergence of the US as a key energy exporter the uh, European Union's decarbonization policies and the end of the, of the high price oil cycle have diminished this player's interest in the Caspian and Central Asian energy investments. But despite these challenges, um, my study concludes that the region and its energy resources are not going to lose their geopolitical significance for the EU and the NATO. And it is the future of the Southern Gas Corridor, including the commissioning of um, the Trans-Adriatic Pipeline in October 2020 and the deployment of new associated resource bases and infrastructure that will be the driving force that will keep the region uh, in the geopolitical map of energy to the benefit, of course, of the EU's and the NATO's short and medium term 
energy security in the course of their transition to a low carbon economy. Well, Mariana, thank you very much for giving us the key insights from your research study, New Dimensions of the Great Caspian Energy Game, which is available for download from natoassociation.ca. This has been podcast number one of the Energy Security Program, NATO Association of Canada, September 18, 2020, and I am Robert Cutler.